We didn't have the spotlights up here last time. Wow. I want to thank you for the reception that I've already gotten here at North Holland, uh, both before and now. Some of you remember one of the last sermons I did here had something to do with, what, driving 100 miles an hour, and um, hopefully you remember that that had an indication or pointing to how we are to worship. Well, I, this morning in the message, I have the very longest number of pages I've ever had for a message. That does not mean you get to go to sleep and a half hour from now I've got to wake you up. It means that I've got a lot of ground to cover, so let's uh, put on our seatbelts and let's go. Uh, first thing this morning, when I got up, I heard something. I heard water moving, and it was felt sounded like it was dripping into something. And then there was this aroma, this smell that was bold and grabbed my attention. And I looked, and sure enough, there was liquid dripping down into my mug. And I grabbed that mug, and it was hot, and I tasted it. And you know what I believed? I believed it was coffee. And it was The Apostles' Creed, we're going to look at today. The Apostles' Creed is something that we, it's, it's not like the Pledge of Allegiance, where we're pledging ourselves to something. We say, I believe. And when I say, we say, I believe, we're saying something very different than, I pledge. And I really want to get that across this morning. I believe is something that is really radically different. Uh, we'll kind of get to it in a little bit, but I want to tease you with um, Thomas at one point. Thomas, Jesus had raised from the dead, and he wasn't there when Jesus appeared. And Thomas, he, he said, unless I put my hand in his side and my fingers in the nail prints, I will not believe that Jesus rose from the dead. The belief that we're talking about when we say, I believe in the Apostles' Creed is more than, I trust this nebulous kind of thing. I, I, I hope for this. No, it, it's uh, something that's based in reality. It's based in what's been revealed. And several times today I'm going to be saying the phrase, it's a revealed reality that is really real. When we say, I believe, we are saying phrase by phrase, word by word, this is revealed reality. It's really real. It's solid. And so let's get into it. You know the Apostles' Creed, I hope, some of it anyway. We say, I believe in God. When we say, I believe in God, well, we are saying something very particular. This morning, we're going to go to several passages of Scripture. And in fact, I'd like you to, uh, if you've got your Bible with you or a pew Bible, Genesis 1.1. Genesis 1.1, and I want you to hold your finger in there because we'll, we'll go through uh, several things in Genesis 1. Um, and then many of the other passages we'll go through. Uh, I will just be quickly reading them, and if you can find them that quick, you are awesome. 
Um, that's great. But Genesis 1.1, in the beginning, God. The way the scripture says it, in the beginning, God, and throughout scripture, it's in the beginning, not a God, not one of the gods, in the beginning, God. There is but one God. And from the very first verse, we get in the beginning, this God, the only God. We say more than that when we say the Apostles' Creed. We say, I believe in God, the Father. Isaiah said, O oh Lord, you are our Father. Galatians one, you hear this maybe from time to time. Grace and peace to you from God the Father and our Lord Jesus Christ. And 2 Corinthians 6.18 says, I will be a father to you and you will be my sons and my daughters, says the Lord Almighty. God talks about himself as the Father. And when we say, I believe in God the Father, we quickly move on to what this last verse said, I'm God the Father Almighty. Now we know that word Almighty is powerful and able to do whatever he wants. And the formers of the Apostles' Creed, oh, by the way, who wrote the Apostles' Creed? No, it wasn't the Apostles'. It was actually formed in the second century. So those who were converted under the apostles, they made disciples. And it's really those disciples who were putting together this statement of faith. And they were ones who said, what's been really revealed to us? What's the real reality? Let's get that into a statement that we can have throughout the church. The church was becoming um, all over the place. It was down in Egypt. It was, of course, in Israel and Asia Minor. And moving across all of the known world, we need something we can say that this is what it means to be a believer in Jesus Christ. This is what it means to be Christian. I believe in God the Father Almighty. And then they say, the proof of that, maker of heaven and earth, the creator of all things. Genesis 1, uh, we just see in, in verse 3, wait a minute, got to move to page 4 already. Getting ahead of myself. No, I'm not. Creator of heaven and earth. Verse 3. Jesus spoke, or God spoke, and there was light. Verse 4. God spoke, and the, there was a separation from the sky from the land, and the water from the land. In verse 3, or day 3, verse 11. God spoke again, and there was all kinds of plant life that came. And in verse 14, God spoke again, and the sun, moon, and stars, and all the stuff of the universe took place. In day 5, verse 12, or verse 20, I mean, God spoke again, and all the water animals were created. Sharks, in every one of them. Verse 24, God spoke again, and all the land and air animals were created. In very quick succession, the Genesis 
reveals to us that God created everything out of nothing. He just needed to speak it, and everything was created. The only exception in all of this was that then he, the Genesis talks about man being created. Let us make man in our own image, God said. And he made them, male and female, he made them. I believe in God. You know what? There's no punctuation in there. In a sense, they, there could have been. You know, I, I was going to ask my wife this, and I forgot. Should it have been a colon or a semicolon? Because in this statement of belief, it's really one statement. I believe in God... And then there's the Father Almighty. And I believe in Jesus Christ. And I believe in God, the Holy Spirit. There's three different big ideas in this statement that we make, this creed. So whatever the punctuation, immediately we believe what as Christians? I believe in God. No, The next phrase is, I believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord. We say that there are those who were working on this, said, okay, well, we've got a name who we now believe in. Well, the angels had already named who we believe in. The, The angel came to Mary, and we read that in Luke 1, 22, that when the angel appeared to Mary, he said, you will call his name Jesus. And when, um, when Joseph received the dream from the angel, he was also told, you will name him Jesus because he will save many people from their sins. When we say, I believe in Jesus, we are saying, I believe in the Savior, the one who saves from sin. And we say, I believe in Jesus the Christ. Jesus Christ, not his second name, but in the Greek, that word means the anointed one. The one who was anointed, just like in the Old Testament. There there were many that were anointed. The, The prophets were anointed to bring the word of God to the people. The priests were anointed so that they could bring the the things, the sins and the concerns and the joys of the people to God. And The kings were anointed because they were the ones who would rule over the people in God's behalf. We say Jesus Jesus is the Christ, the anointed one, prophet, priest, and king. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only son, our Lord. The framers of this creed probably went right back to the scriptures. And in Matthew 3 and Matthew 17, we see Jesus in his baptism and in the Mount of Transfiguration. And in both places, there's a voice that comes from heaven and says, This is my Son in whom I am well pleased. Or, This is my Son. Listen to him. Throughout the New Testament, we see that Jesus is called the Son of God. I believe in Jesus, Christ, the only begotten Son, our Lord. 
What do we mean by Lord? Well, we can call him king. We can call him a lot of other different things that mean Lord. Jesus himself, after he was raised from the dead and was talking with his disciples and just before going to heaven in uh, Matthew 28, in verse 18, he says to his disciples, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. When we say, I believe, it's a really real thing that Jesus is Lord. He has revealed himself, and the revealed reality is that he already has all power, all authority, and that means not only for those who believe, like we, most of us who are here today, I'm sure, would say, I believe Jesus is Lord. Reality is, Jesus is Lord even of those who do not believe or want to disbelieve. They are saying, no, I will rebel against that lordship. When we repeat the Apostles' Creed, we accept Christ's lordship to follow him in all the ways that we can. I believe in Jesus Christ, the only begotten Son, His only begotten Son, our Lord. And now the framers of this statement. So we've got to say some things about who Jesus was when He was on earth. Because this is where something was radically different from other things of the Jewish faith, other things of the, the faiths of those around us. So he, they, they had to say somehow who Jesus was, what he did. And so they, they started with conceived by the Holy Spirit. Mary had heard the angel that the Spirit would come upon her and she would conceive and have a child. And not only would this child be of God, as Joseph would also hear, this child would be God, this child would be also fully man. This child would be born of a virgin, born human, fully God, fully man, and the Apostles' Creed doesn't explain to us how we're supposed to understand that. We're just supposed to realize that God, in his fullness, man, in his fullness, were together in Christ. It's a revealed reality that's really real, whether I understand it or not. This is one of those things that some of you have had the experience. You've had the experience of on a dark night, not a cloud in the sky, the moon hasn't risen, the, the neighborhood lights are either low or, or it went out, and you've been out where there's no lights and you look at the sky and you see the North Star 
and the Big Dipper and the Little Dipper and other constellations you can identify. And as you look at the stars that are out there, it looks like this mist that is going across the sky as well. And somebody tells you, that's the Milky Way. And I've always been excited, enthralled, curious about the universe that we live in. And from the very first time I saw all of that, I was probably 11 because that's when I forgot my first set of glasses. <laughs> I could actually see, wow, look at those stars. Look at the Milky Way out on the farm. We could see that stuff. And the more that I've learned, the more I realize is out there and the more that I don't know about the universe we live in. Much in the same way about Jesus being fully God and being fully man, it's been revealed to us. How that works together, what does that mean? All the development of that. Some of us understand some of that. Uh, some uh, of us have studied under people who have really looked into it, and they understand more than we do. And yet the very reality that's been revealed, fully God, fully man, all of us are to hear with our ears, see with our eyes, and believe the real reality of that. And then the Apostle Creed jumps into, into what's next? Suffered under Pontius Pilate. Did they forget all about the good stuff that's in the Gospels? The teaching that Jesus did, the miracles that Jesus did, the healings, the walking on water, the feeding 5,000. Did they just kind of brush that off to the side as unimportant? You look into the history of it, the, the reality is, is that they just assumed everybody who was a Christian knew all that stuff, pretty much. It was not something that was all that critical importance to put into a summary statement because the next thing we hear is suffered under Pontius Pilate. Suffered under Pontius Pilate puts Jesus in a time and a place. It puts him as definitely within history. There were ideas that were popping up even in the day and age that these guys were writing or putting in the Apostles' Creed into a form, there were ideas about Jesus. There were ideas that he was not really God fully, or that he was not really man fully, or that he would, had become a God. And some of these goofy ideas needed to be talked against. And so one of the things was that Jesus had kind of appeared. Well, no, he lived at a time and a place. There was history that was uh, a reality. And suffering under Pontius Pilate was a very real thing that happened. Matthew 27 talks about it as well as the other Gospels, how Jesus was under trial. Jesus was beaten by the soldiers. He was whipped. They put a crown of thorns on his head and mocked him. And they made him carry his own cross. Revealed to us through God's word. They had heard it through the eyewitness stories of those who had been there. 
a very real reality that had been revealed. Jesus was crucified. Every single gospel tells the story, each from a little different vantage point. Jesus crucified, dead. He didn't just swoon on the cross or maybe he was, had some life left in him. But as in John 19.30, it says, Jesus said, it is finished. And he gave up his last breath. And then just a few verses later, the soldiers are reported to have stuck a spear in his side. There's no way that a human could have lived through that. And so he was buried. Matthew 27, beginning at verse 26, talks about the tomb being sealed because Jesus had kind of said that he might come back to life, and so they were going to try to make sure that his disciples did not come and steal the body and make up a story. And he was buried dead in the grave. And then comes a phrase that was actually added later, some couple hundred years or so later. Jesus descended into hell. We say it. How do we understand it? Well, we say it because there's a couple of verses in Scripture that talk specifically about Jesus descending into hell. First one is Ephesians 4 where it says in verse 9 and 10, talking about the ascension, actually, and saying he ascended, what does it mean but that he also descended into the lower regions of the earth? He who descended is the one who also ascended far above the heavens, that he might fill all things together. And Peter had written of it himself. Peter... 3, verses 19, 18 and 19. It says, For Christ also suffered once for sin, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the spirit, in which he went and proclaimed to the spirits in prison, because they formerly had not obeyed. To me, this is kind of looking into space again it's a revealed reality it's really real but i don't understand all the ins and outs of it and others many have different explanations of what it means and yet it is very real we like to move right on to the next phrase uh, on the third day he rose again yes That's what we celebrate in Easter. That's what many of our songs this morning actually celebrated, that Jesus arose and he's alive, that Jesus rose. And and you know what? That's not just something that's so easy to to grasp a hold of. I said Thomas before in the beginning of the, the message that Thomas said he would not believe unless he had solid proof. And Jesus appeared to Thomas with the rest of the disciples, and he said, come on, Thomas, put your hand in my side, put your fingers in the nail holes, and believe. Thomas's immediate response is not, 
oh, I've got to do more research on this. How can this be? Uh, you, you look like you're here. You feel like you're here. Thomas believed what he heard. He believed his eyes. He believed what he felt. And he said, my Savior and my God. And we say with him, on the third day, Jesus rose again. And then in Acts, it tells the, the story of uh, Jesus talking with the disciples once again on the hillside. And as he was talking, he was lifted up and the clouds accepted him, so to speak. And then we believe, we believe what Revelation tells us. Revelation 3, 21, in the letter to the Laodiceas, it says, Jesus is saying, I have conquered, and I sat down with my Father on his throne. And we say it, Christ ascended and sits at the right hand of God, the Father Almighty. And even though Jesus is everywhere present all the time as God, he also continues to sit on the throne at the right hand of God the Father. It's almost as if he is sitting there patiently working throughout the universe and throughout our lives, patiently waiting for the Father to say, it's time, time to return. Because, and we do say that, in the Apostles' Creed, that Jesus is, there is a time when Jesus will come back and he will come to judge the living and the dead. Jesus had told the parable in Matthew 25 of when the Son of Man comes in his glory, he will separate the people as sheep and goats. There will be a judgment. Jesus is coming with perfect justice because he knows all things and he knows the mind and heart of everyone. He is coming to judge. When we say all those things, we're talking about a revealed reality that's really real about Jesus. The Apostles' Creed, as it was beginning, I believe in God, the Father. I believe in the Son, Jesus Christ. And then, not really saying it, but we also say, I believe in, not in God, the Holy Spirit, but we do say, I believe in the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit, who came on, in Acts 2, um, showing up in the upper room and uh, indwelling each of those who were there. Jesus had promised that the Spirit would come. And now we also see in, um, in Corinthians, 1 Corinthians 12 that the Spirit not only indwells us, but also gives gifts to each one of us. And there could be a whole theology of the Holy Spirit. Uh, go to a, a Christian bookstore that carries a lot of the good old theology stuff, like a secondhand store, You'll find books on the Holy Spirit. 
Wow. I love to study about the Holy Spirit because, like the universe, it's a vast and powerful study. Some of us don't get the reality that when we say, I believe in the Holy Spirit, we kind of think the punctuation there should be a period because of the other things we say. But in reality, what we ought to think is that the rest of what we say in the Apostles' Creed is the work of the Holy Spirit. This is what the Holy Spirit is doing. And so the Holy Spirit, when we say, I believe in the Holy Spirit, and we say then, and the Holy Catholic Church. And for most of us, we've got to switch our minds to say, okay, we're not talking about the Roman Catholic Church. No, we're, we're talking about the, the one church, the holy church, the holy meaning set aside, the ones that God set aside, the Catholic, meaning universal, the church from all ages into all ages, the church of all those who have been called apart to be holy, and the ecclesia, the church itself, is that which is the gathered people who will be gathered not only in places like this, but will be gathered from every place and brought into the kingdom of God by the Holy Spirit. One group, one holy church. Well, it may be the, the church that we see today. Um, I kind of make a distinction, and this may be goofy, but I do it. Um, I, I understand there is the church, capital T, capital C, the church. And then there is the church, Cap or lowercase t, lowercase c. A lot of ramifications from that, but right now, the Reformed Church in America is having a meeting in Grand Rapids. We call it General Synod. It's all of our folks together, and quite honestly, that church that's meeting is lowercase t, lowercase c. We are part of the church that's part of the church. Just a way that I remember these things. When we say, I believe in the Holy Spirit and the Holy Catholic Church, the Holy Catholic Church is the church that we're talking about. We talk about the communion of believers, like 1 Corinthians 1, 2, to the church, called to be saints together with all those who in every place call upon the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. There is a, a very real unity for with all who believe. We are already part of the family. We say, I believe in the forgiveness of sins. 1 John 1, verse 9 says, If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us of all of our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. We say, We believe in the resurrection of the body. Um, fortunately, certainly for some of us who have, who have lost a few things over the years or gained a few things over the years, um, 
We want to say the glorified body. There will be a resurrection into a glorified body. Uh, because this body, like Paul said, we, we bury the imperishable. I mean the perishable. We bury that which will decay, that which will um, degrade, that which is not forever is buried. But what is raised is imperishable, which will last forever. And so we conclude the Apostles' Creed with we believe in the life everlasting. All of those things are a very revealed reality, a very real, real. Last page. We at times within the church, we do say the Apostles' Creed. And I'm hoping that after today, you might have it within you that when you say and start to say, I believe. You'll remember that it's not just faith. It's not just trust. It's talking about a revealed reality. And, and we can say, I believe in the sun and the moon and the stars. Or we can get all jazzed and go, I believe that the, the sun is one of the stars and the moon reflects the sun's light. And I believe that there's a universe full of galaxies and stars and nebulas and stuff that I don't know about yet and, and black holes that are sucking light in. And I believe that when the Hubble telescope went up there and started to look at all of it, we discovered way more than we ever thought was out there. And now we're just being inundated with all kinds of... And that the person who gets all excited like that that's the way every Christian ought to say the Apostles' Creed. Seriously, we ought to get so pumped about what we're saying. We're saying realities that are the milestones, that are the stepping stones, that are the solid rock of our, our belief system. And what God has revealed to us, it's as if through this, we are once again out on the dark night, seeing the majesty of what God has revealed. And we're going to put the Apostles' Creed slide up right now. We're going to see how this works. I want you this morning to do that. Not just repeat the Apostles' Creed, okay? This is going to be repeat the Apostles' Creed together with emphasis, with delight, with, wow, this is the stuff that we believe. And so I invite you to stand right now and with me, repeat the Apostles' Creed. I believe in God the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth, and I believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who is conceived by the Holy Spirit 
and born of the Virgin Mary. He suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended into hell. The third day, he rose again from the dead. He ascended to heaven and is seated at the right hand of God, the Father Almighty. From there, he will come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, and the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Let's remain standing. Heavenly Father, thank you for the opportunity to look at one of the creeds and to quickly run through each and every word and phrase of the very revelation that you have given to the church, a revealed reality that we can latch on to and that points us to further, deeper, incredible blessings that you have for us individually and for us as a church. Thank you for these things. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.